I'd like to welcome you and thank you for joining us through our live stream as we bring to you a service over the internet, which is amazing that we can do this. We've just been saying how amazing it is that just a year ago, if we had a Sunday that was snowed out, we would just have to cancel the service. But praise be to the Lord that we can bring to you a service over the internet. Now, I would invite you at this time, as you are in your homes, to open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians as we continue our study of the book of Galatians, looking at chapter 1, starting in verse 18, and we'll go through chapter 2, verse 10. Now, as we come to these verses, I'm encouraged by how timely Paul's message is for us today. That is to say, the truth communicated in our passage is of vital importance for where we find ourselves as a church in this time. For central to this text is the question of unity among believers. What is the ground? What is the foundation of our unity with one another? This year has continually challenged the unity of our nation, of our communities, of our families, and sadly of the church. COVID has presented an array of difficulties to our unity. The fact that we cannot freely gather together. But there have been struggles surrounding gatherings, distancing, seating arrangements. People have been upset when we ask attenders to wear masks. And others have been upset that we do not more diligently enforce our mask wearing or that we even have in-person worship services. And we continue to struggle through questions of how and when to re-engage in Sunday school and other church activities. Truly, COVID has created opportunities for disunity in the body. There's also been political tension. There are people who feel that as a church we are too conservative in our political outlook or language. And yet there are others who think that we are not conservative enough or that we need to speak to political issues more directly. People have been upset when we prayed for now President Biden before his election was certified and others were concerned that we did not take a specific moment to condemn the Capitol riots. There are some who believe that no Christian could possibly have voted for Trump and there are others who say no Christian could have possibly voted for Biden. And these differences of political outlook have boiled over to create division. Now, before I alienate everyone, I will stop talking about the things that have divided us over this year. But I think that you get the point, right? People have beliefs that are vitally important to them. I'm not trying to undermine the importance of these beliefs and of what you uh, feel is so central. And yet, when brothers and sisters in Christ do not agree It creates opportunities for disillusion and broken fellowship. Disunity will result in tense relationships, people leaving the church, and at times whole churches are whole denominations dividing. So then how are we to find unity in the church today? What is the basis of our fellowship? When we disagree on issues of importance, how can we still gather together as a body and in good faith worship together? In our passage for today, 
the Apostle Paul outlines two trips that he made to Jerusalem to visit the leaders of the church there. And central to these visits was the question of gospel unity. As you remember from the last few weeks, Paul is not concerned to make sure that he's preaching the gospel because he knows for certain the gospel that he's preaching is the true gospel. For he is not preaching man's gospel, he is preaching the gospel of Christ. So what is his concern? Well, he is very concerned that the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, including Peter, James, and John, are staying true to the gospel. His concern is that unity would be maintained around the truth of the gospel. There are many factors that could have driven a wedge between Paul and the other apostles. His ministry context, emphasis, and call were different from that of the other apostles. And these differences could have created a split in the early church. And this would have been disastrous for the future of the church of Jesus Christ. However... What we will see in our passage for this morning is that unity was maintained because of the one true gospel. So hear now the word of the Lord, Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 18 and following. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, And remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now in this time 
And we pray that you would use your word to drive into our hearts the truth of the gospel and the unity that it creates between brothers and sisters who have been called by your spirit and joined to the one body of Christ. Oh, may we never allow secondary issues to overrun the one primary issue of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we do pray. Amen. If we are not willing to maintain proper boundaries, we will never have true unity. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by maintaining proper boundaries? What I mean is, if there is not a clear delineation between those who are in a group and those who are out of a group, this group cannot have true coherence, right? This is why sports teams wear different uniforms. You want to know, you need to know who is on your team. You don't want to find yourself passing the ball to someone who is opposing you, and so we have markers that show these people are on your team and these people are not on your team. Groups, clubs, societies, teams, families often have ways of identifying those who are a part of the group and those who are not. They have boundaries. This past weekend, we held our presbytery meeting, and one of their main functions is to test candidates for ordination. That is, men and women who want to come into the presbytery to minister, to be called as teaching elders, we must test them. Because if we just allow anyone to minister in the EPC, there would be no unity. There'd be no coherence. And therefore, we test to ensure proper boundaries are maintained in our denomination. Now, this question of boundaries is what Paul and the whole early church is dealing with. Who is in the church and who is out of the church? Where is the line drawn to show that those who are claiming to belong to Christ actually belong to Him. For the Judaizers, Paul, who Paul is contending with, the boundary line was circumcision. This is how you knew that a Gentile convert was a true follower of Jesus Christ and was truly a part of the team. He was willing to submit himself to the custom, to the Old Testament ceremonial law of being circumcised. But Paul forcefully refuted this claim. The boundary that needed to be maintained was not the ceremonial law, but rather it was faith in Jesus Christ. This is the boundary line. This is the marker between those who are truly a part of the church and those who are are not. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? In our passage, Paul lays out two separate occasions when he visited the church in Jerusalem. The first visit lasted only a few weeks and was marked by limited interaction with the apostles. But then, 14 years later, he returned, and we read in verse 2 of chapter 2 his explanation of this visit. He says, I went up because of a revelation that was set, or because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, 
the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, right? He went up and he set before those who were influential in the Jerusalem church the gospel that he was proclaiming among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. We need to understand particularly what Paul means when he says that he wants to make sure that he had not run in vain. You see, Paul is not testing his own gospel here. He isn't going to the, to the church leaders, those who are influential in Jerusalem, and saying, hey, this is the gospel. Like, am I preaching the right gospel? No, we have seen already that Paul knows that he is preaching the true gospel. Rather, he set before the leaders of the church in Jerusalem the true gospel because he wanted to ensure that they would not undermine it. He had now been ministering for close to two decades, and he wanted to ensure that these influential men would not undo all that he had labored so hard to achieve. He wanted to make sure he had not run in vain. To think of it another way, Paul encountered opposition from the Judaizers. He realized that they were not on the same team. And he wanted to go to Jerusalem to make sure that those at the center of the church were still on the gospel team. That they had not defected over to the Judaizers team. Because that was no gospel at all. And so he set before them the true gospel. He laid out before them the message of Christ crucified for sinners. The message of forgiveness of sins and new life in Christ. He spoke of the free grace of God and of the fulfillment of the law in Christ. Most likely, he said something along the lines of verse 16 of chapter 2. You can have your eyes run down to verse 16 that we'll cover later. He says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Are we on the same team? Leaders in the Jerusalem church, is this what you believe? Is this the gospel that you preach? Because this is the only true gospel. This is the basis of unity in the church. The gospel of free grace. To affirm this gospel means that you are a member. And to deny it is to transgress the boundaries and to fall outside of true fellowship. This is why the first two questions of church membership are as follows. And all of you who are members of Rivermont have affirmed these. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God and without hope for your salvation except in His sovereign mercy? And the second question, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners? And do you receive and depend upon Him alone for your salvation as He is offered in the Gospel? This is how we know who is on the team. This is the boundary line. This is the marker. This is the source of our unity. And praise be to God that there was no division in the church. For just as Paul preached the gospel of free grace, so too did Peter, James, and John. This is the boundary line that must be maintained. The gospel of free grace. This is the point of union. There are many other markers that we might be tempted to adopt as a true mark of a Christian. 
We might narrow our fellowship to those who perform certain rituals, hold certain political opinions, agree with our musical preferences, or practice our cultural norms. We might take this boundary and we might shrink it down and say, no, 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 we need to narrow further down who is truly a part of the team. On the other hand, we might desire to broaden the boundaries of the church to include those who do not have faith in Christ. We might want to include those who have lived good outward lives. We might want to include people who live contrary to the Word of God, but we want to include them for some reason. We might desire to include those who agree with us on cultural issues and say, hey, you know, they're with us on these cultural issues. They don't believe in Jesus Christ, but they are still on the team because they stand against what we stand against. But this is not the boundary. The only mark of unity in the church is faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Judaizers were false brothers because they believed in a false gospel. But Peter, James, and John offered the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas because they had unity in Christ. Because the gospel is the only true mark of unity in the church. Yet, within the early church, just as today, unity in the gospel did not lead to a lack of diversity or to uniformity in all practice. Rather, unity in the gospel led to a freedom that we are all called to embrace. Look at verses 3 through 5 of chapter 2 of our text, and we'll see how this gospel freedom was exemplified. He says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, right? He hadn't been circumcised, but he wasn't forced to be circumcised. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You see, Titus was a bit of a test case, if you will. He was a Gentile Christian who had not submitted to circumcision. The question is, would he be accepted? Or would the leaders of the Jerusalem church require him to be circumcised before he was brought into the fellowship of believers? Now, there was a group of false brothers who had slipped in and they sought to enforce the slavery of their own cultural and religious opinions upon Paul and his friends. Look at the language Paul uses here, right? They sought to spy out their freedom and they desired to bring them into slavery. Nevertheless, The leaders of the Jerusalem church did not force circumcision upon Titus, but rather they embraced him as a brother. You see, the gospel teaches us that by his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus Christ has won for his people freedom. We are freed from our sin and guilt. We are freed from the curse of the law. We are free from God's wrath. We are delivered from our bondage to Satan and from the realm of sin. We are freed from the sting of death, from the chains of the grave, and from everlasting judgment. 
We have been freed to come into the very presence of God Himself and to serve Him without a slavish fear, but with a childlike love. The Gospel means that God alone is the Lord of our conscience and He has left it free from the doctrines and the commandments of men. Men do not get to make the rules about who is in and who is out when it comes to the church. Paul utterly refused to compromise on this point because the Gospel means freedom, not slavery. The Gospel means that by God's grace, men and women of different cultures and practices are enfolded into the body of Christ. And while they may be different in almost every imaginable way, as long as they submit to the Lordship of Christ and the Gospel of grace, they are one with the body of Christ. And to deny this union and require uniformity of opinion is to undermine the Gospel itself. It is to deny the power of the blood of Christ. And this is why Paul says in verse 5 that he was preserving the gospel when he stood up to these false brothers. We have to understand that freedom in the gospel is not a secondary issue. But to lay burdens, to say that you have to agree with me on these secondary issues, to be considered a member of the body of Christ is to undermine the very gospel itself. And you need to ask yourself, what are the grounds upon which I find my unity with others? Is it primarily ethnicity, race, or economic success? Is my ground for unity political affiliation or educational attainment? Do people have to look like you and agree with you for you to worship with them? The Word of God is telling us that there will be diversity in the kingdom because unity is based on one thing and one thing alone. The Gospel of Jesus Christ that brings freedom. This is what Paul means when he says later in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is not saying that these differences are not still present. Of course they're still present. Of course. And that is the beauty of the body of Christ. The differences and freedoms are present in the body because the body is unified according to one principle, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we must embrace the freedom that we have in the Gospel. To have true unity, we must maintain Gospel boundaries. We cannot compromise on the Gospel. We must embrace Gospel freedoms. And the third thing I want us to see is that we must recognize different Gospel callings. For there to be true unity in the church, we must recognize that there are different gospel callings. One of the most difficult things that church leaders must do is to say no to people with good ideas. I remember an instance when I was in South Carolina when a member of our church came to me with a ministry that she was very excited about. However, other members of the church were not getting behind this ministry. 
And she was frustrated and she wanted me to convince everyone else in the church that they needed to be involved in her pet ministry. But I had to say no. Not because the ministry was bad. Not that it was a ministry that we could not be a part of. But rather because not every Christian and not every church can be called to participate in every good work. And that is what we see in our text, is that, the, that gospel unity to be maintained means that we have to recognize different gospel callings. Look at verses 7 through 10 of your text. It says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. What happened? Well, the early leaders of the church recognized that the Holy Spirit had empowered different people to different callings. It was the Holy Spirit who empowered the calling of Peter to minister to the Jews. And it was the Holy Spirit who empowered the calling of Paul to minister to the Gentiles, as our text says. There was a different call. There was a different particular mission and vision for ministry that were given to these two apostles but they were still unified by the gospel. For both were called to preach the gospel to those who needed to hear it. To preach the gospel so that those who were lost might be found. And for us to maintain unity in the body of Christ, we must realize that God has called different people to different areas of ministry. And this means that our unique calling will require a unique application of gospel principles in the real-life situations where we find ourselves. We are not all called to the same thing. I'm called to be a pastor of Rivermont EPC, but I'm not called to be a missionary to India. That doesn't mean that I don't think that gospel work needs to happen in India. Of course I do. But that is not where God has called me. I am not a missionary to India I am a pastor in Lynchburg, Virginia. And each of you have been given a gospel calling as well. But each one unique and different. Some of you are called to minister in the church and others of you outside of the church. Some of you are called to minister primarily to your children in this season. And others of you are called to go out into the streets and minister to the homeless. There are some of you who have a heart for the lost in Lynchburg, Virginia, and others of you who have a heart for the lost in Saudi Arabia. There are some of you who have a call to give to the building fund, and others of you who are called to give to Christian doctors in Uganda. And to maintain gospel unity in the midst of such diverse callings, we must recognize that the Lord has given many members, many functions in one body. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many are one body, 
So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. What Paul means by that is that we are unified by the gospel, but we each have unique gospel calls. And we cannot allow the difference of calling and the different ways that the Spirit has empowered us to those callings to bring division and say, you know, the only real true calling is to go after this ministry that's on my heart. No, to maintain gospel unity, we need to realize that the body is made up of many different members. To maintain gospel unity, we have to realize that the church will have a multitude of expressions and callings. There will be individuals and bodies that express worship and mission in vastly different ways depending on cultural context. But our unity is not rooted in us all doing the same thing in the same way. It is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. One side note that I think is important that we keep in mind, and maybe I should have taken more time to develop this. Every gospel calling will have a mind towards the poor, towards the less fortunate. This is why Paul was eager to remember the poor and why he was so eager to agree with this. For all of our gospel callings, wherever they may be, we must keep in mind that we are called to those who are in need. We must remember that Jesus said that He came not for the well, but for the sick. We go into a world that is poor and sick and dying. And all of our callings are callings to bring the balm of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The motto of our denomination, the EPC, is... In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. I would not have been amiss to outline this morning's message along these lines. There are essentials of which we cannot compromise. And at the very heart of these essentials is the gospel itself. But there are many things that can divide us that are not rooted in the gospel at all. And when we allow such things to bring disunity to the church of Jesus Christ, we have truly run afoul. I want to honor the fact that Rivermont, that this body, has remained largely unified in this time. And it is a testament to the long history of gospel-centered preaching from men like Graham Gilmer and Lowell Sykes, John Mabry, and Clay Smith, as well as to other teaching elders and ruling elders who have so faithfully laid a foundation in the Word of God and made the Gospel the foundation of the ministry here at Rivermont. However, we cannot rest on the work of the past. We must be diligent to focus in these difficult times on the gospel. We must not allow differences of opinion on secondary issues, no matter how important these secondary issues are. If they are not the gospel, they are secondary. And if they are secondary, they cannot be that which creates fractures in the church. For we must be grounded on Christ and Him alone. We must focus our attention on the gospel and draw our boundary lines so that faith in Christ is the mark of our unity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now in this time. Lord, and there are many things that could divide us. There are many points of fracture. We ask, O Lord, that in this time, that you would, O God, bring unity to the body here at Rivermont. We pray, O God, that you would bless us with your spirit. And as we are called to go forth into our various callings, Lord, that we would truly find our unity with one another through Christ alone. It's in his holy name that we do pray. Amen.